0: You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. all right y'all glad you're here let's open the book together uh jonah chapter one is where we're going to be today jonah chapter one that's um he's a minor prophet um and Jonah, so he's sort of toward the end of the old testament i think you got uh yeah just a couple of books after there and then uh you made it to the new testament if you're still getting your bearings in the bible we are people of the book around here and that's because we want we want to hear God's voice man we want to hear him speak and the way that you can do that authoritatively the way that you can do that with clarity is by going to the scriptures and so week in and week out you're going to hear somebody open the bible and walk through it um, verse by verse in some way we typically um, preach through books of the bible and so right now that's what uh, if you're new uh, you pick the perfect week to come uh, because you get to jump in on the beginning um, of this book of Jonah so Jonah chapter 1. If I could ask you to go ahead and stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read our text and we will begin. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Um, so the book of Jonah is a, is a story, right? This is a, um, like I said, he's a minor prophet. If you were to go to read other prophets in the scriptures, Jonah's kind of unique um, because all the other prophets, it's usually the words of the prophets saying something um, to call God's people back to obedience. It's, it's a record of their words. But this book is a story of a prophet. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but he's a prophet who's kind of bad at his job right now, right? The prophet is the one um, who is a symbol of God's presence in. The nation, He is a, um, he's the one who has his ear to heaven, who's hearing from the Lord and expressing that to the people. And instead of being close to the Lord and hearing from the Lord, Jonah actually turns tail and like runs the other direction. So um, this is a messy story. Like if you come in this morning and your story is marked by two steps forward, one step back, if that's what it looks like, I man, the book of Jonah is gonna offer some great comfort to you um, in this. God keeps pursuing It's just what he does. It's fundamental to who he is. Jonah, as you're going to see in this story, he assumes that God will leave him alone if he just quits his job. But God is merciless in his dishing out of mercy. Don't miss that. He is merciless in his dishing out of mercy. In other words, he goes hard in giving mercy, extending mercy, chasing down runaway people it's who he is i think the best way to read jonah is his history that this is a story that actually happened the way that jesus talks about the book of jonah in the new testament leads us to believe that jesus knew jonah was a real person in fact you look at some of the details of the story jonah the son of amittai if this is merely a fable of a story why include the name of his dad like it just it just wouldn't make sense to read it another way And if you're going, man, this guy gets eaten by a fish, you want me to believe this story? Hold on, the the center of our faith is that a guy was dead and isn't dead anymore. Don't let the fish be the one that trips you up, okay? Beating death is a lot harder than getting eaten by a fish, okay? And Jesus did that. We believe that actually happened. So this story... This whole story is just four short chapters. I love it. It's a pretty simple story. OK, it's not. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand Jonas' point, which is just helpful for a guy like me. I don't know if that's like you, but man, just um, this sort of straightforward point um, in a way. But this whole book deals with what I'm going to call for our time in this book, the mercy line, okay, the mercy line. Um, you have dealt with the mercy line on an ethical level, probably in a, in a philosophy class. You've dealt with this talking with your buddies late at night. Um, but you've also dealt with this um, on a personal level. Here's what the mercy line is. At what point does a person stop deserving mercy? Like, Where's the line? Right In your history class, it was like you walked it through. It's like, okay, somebody who made a mistake unknowingly, do they deserve mercy? Sure. Right, And then the next person, well, this person kind of knew what they were doing, but they were sorry after they did it. Okay, that person still deserves mercy. And then it goes and goes and goes until you get to the ethical trump card, which is this, in every history class, if if nobody shouted this in your history or ethics class at some point, you need to take it again, because what about Hitler? That's usually where it goes, right? Like, let's roll it all the way forward. Somebody who does, chronic evil, knowing that they're taking human life. Does that person deserve mercy? And then most people in that moment are going to go, okay, that's the line. Okay, that's the problem with the mercy line. Where, where's the line? Who deserves mercy? Who doesn't deserve mercy? But goodness, let's not just pretend that's an ethical problem. This is a you problem. Amen. Isn't it? Yeah. It's like that, that person, right, who wounded me, do they deserve mercy? And let's say, even if I believe they deserve it, can I extend it? And really give it, because you, you know, you've been following Jesus for a minute in this room, you know exactly what it's like to go, I know what I should do, and I know what I should want to do, but when that person walks through the door, my guts tighten up, my shoulders get tight, and I feel like I need to go hide in the bathroom. If that's your experience of church, you are not alone. Welcome to the messy family of God. A place in which we stare down relationships, that we have trouble giving mercy to one another. And in Jesus Christ, we fight to be merciful. It's, it ain't easy, I'm telling you. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I want you to be part of it. You need mercy like that. You need mercy that hunts you down. And man, thanks be to God, that's exactly who he is. See, here's here's the thing. I think if you have to boil down the book of Jonah into a theological principle, here's what I think it probably is. God is far more free with mercy than most of us are comfortable with. He loves to give it. Oh gosh, we're really bad at giving mercy sometimes, but God loves to give it. I heard one time um, in describing what mercy actually is someone described grace is unmerited favor right it's it's god you didn't deserve it but he gave you this lavish love this lavish blessing this lavish care that's grace but mercy is diverted judgment like grace is you getting something good that you don't deserve Mercy is you not getting something bad that you do deserve. And mercy, I think often the cultural conception of mercy looks like, hey, I know you did something terrible. I'm not not even gonna care about it. Like I just totally forgive you, it's no problem. Mercy is not sweeping something under the rug. Notice, I say it very intentionally, mercy is diverted judgment. It means instead of you taking that judgment, somebody else is going to take it. And this is at the very heart of the gospel. This is how the book of Jonah points us forward to the person and work of Jesus. Y'all, you deserve judgment. And so did I. But guess what? God did not say, well, I'm just going to undo the fabric of the universe. And I'm not going to judge wrongdoing. No, no, no. You wouldn't want that. Because you know what? You want evil to pay. Do you not? You see it happen, you want evil to pay. Mercy pours out the justice of that judgment on somebody else. That's what heavenly mercy does. And here's the thing, friends, I want you to remember this. God's mercy to you is meant to move through you. This is the way of the people of God. Like, man, when you receive a great mercy, Jesus talks about this in the parables. He's like, man, this, this guy gets forgiven all this debt, and if he goes out and then he, he basically shakes a person and puts them in prison because they can't pay back a few dollars after he's been forgiven this massive debt, that person doesn't understand mercy. If you've been given much mercy, mercy is meant to flow through you. It's not always simple. And so the book of Jonah, I think, is going to actually help us unpack what it looks like and much of the time if we're honest the book of jonah is not a story of a hero it's a non-example it's like hey you see what jonah does do the opposite of that right the book of jonah interestingly i'm just trying to kind of give us a thirty thousand foot view right here the book of jonah interestingly ends not with the words of Jonah, but with a question from God. Jonah and God are talking back and forth, and Jonah's like, I, I just wish you would let me die. And God is going, do you really want me to destroy all these people? All these valuable resources, all these humans. You, want me, you really want me to destroy them? And this book is meant to invite us into a question. And I think that's the question the first chapter is actually going to teach us today. I think we got a TV out. We'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you a fresh TV going for next week, okay? How will you respond to the mercy of God? This is the question from the task, text right now. Can you receive it? Can you receive it? Jonah had received the mercy of God as part of his people. But then too, part of the response, will you extend it? This is where the breakdown comes with our our boy Jonah, okay? How will you respond to the mercy of God? I want you to ask that question as you're hearing this story this morning. Point number one, break it down a bit. Will you respond disobediently? Will you respond disobediently? Look back at the text of scripture. It says in verse one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great that great city, <clears throat> and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah, remember, he is the prophet. I want you to think, this is God's guy, okay? This is his, uh, his mouthpiece in the nation of Israel, the symbol of his presence. He is the one who is supposed to hunger and thirst for the voice of God more than anybody else in the kingdom. And what we find is that um, <clears throat> Jonah was prophet um, during the days of Jeroboam II. We learn that in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, if you want to go look that up later. Um, But Jonah prophesies that Israel is actually going to get some prosperity. Like things have gone really bad for the people of God for a long time, partly because of their disobedience against him. And Jonah says, hey, this king is going to usher in a season and an age of some goodness. Like, man, I want you to imagine for a second what that would feel like. Like, you know this personally, you know this culturally, where it's like, man, things are bad. Inflation is, I think it's a million percent right now. I haven't seen the, the latest statistic, but it's something like that. Um, th- you, you go, things are out of control, and then all of a sudden, this age of like, okay, things are starting to happen good is starting to prosper again. We're not, we don't have the thumb of a foreign power, like breathing down our necks. That's, that's what's happening. Things are looking up in the days of Jonah. And God instructs Jonah in his word to do two things. Number one, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now for most of us in the room, Nineveh doesn't mean much, but for Jonah, he would have heard go to Nineveh, and he would have said, do I have time to hire a security team? Like, sheesh, Nineveh? You want me to go to Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And Assyria is this empire that has been marked through its history by unbelievable cruelty a place of wickedness and debauchery. It is a city of 600,000 people. So picture crowds of people, a city much larger than our own, covered in wickedness and evil. We learn in the book of Nahum that um, God condemns um, the empire of Assyria because of their, um, their child sacrifice practices. Can you believe that? They kill children. Um, they, uh, They would pillage, so as they would take over neighboring countries, they would pillage these places. And so God is telling Jonah to go into the heart of this city, who though Assyria isn't currently oppressing Israel, they probably will in the future. It's their enemies. It's the people that they're afraid of it's the people that they're like man i got my eye on you because i feel like you're going to come over here and try to take our place and our stuff and god says go to Nineveh and the second thing he tells Jonah to do call out against it you think man if Jonah hates Nineveh wouldn't that be easy to go and walk through the streets and be like you're evil you're the worst right God is asking Jonah right now to go give a passionate plea, and don't miss this, a warning that God is going to judge their wickedness unless they repent. And that's the thing Jonah has a problem with. See, we actually don't learn it here in chapter 1 why Jonah doesn't want to go so badly, but in chapter 4, verse 2, I'm going to steal Jonah's thunder a bit here. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't wanna call out against the people of Nineveh because he knew they would repent. And he didn't want them to. That's going to be important in a minute. God calls out to Jonah, and then Jonah does the exact opposite. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, the way this verse is written, you can kind of see it in the English here. It's more obvious in the Hebrew. He keeps saying Tarshish over and over. And I'd like to think that he's just trying to get me to mispronounce it, saying it out loud a lot. You say Tarshish like three times in a row, you're gonna tie your tongue up a little bit. But the author here, Jonah, who presumably is writing this, he's trying to accentuate the fact that God said go here but Jonah is going there. Like God said rise and go, Jonah rose and fled. God said, hey, Nineveh over here, which is in the east. He said, go to Nineveh in the east. You know where presumably Tarshish is? In the exact opposite direction to the west. Like Jonah didn't even say, he's like, okay, I'm not going to go to Nineveh, but I'll go to the suburbs. Right? I'll plant a church in the suburbs of Nineveh and do some work. No, no, no. He went the opposite direction. God said that the evil of Nineveh had come up before him. And Jonah, even though evil had come up before him, Jonah wants to go down, right? If God is up, he wants to go down. And the most tragic line here is that he's trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. This guy's a prophet. You know what that means he knows? He's got some theology, doesn't he? Can you run from the presence of the Lord? Where can you hide? Nowhere. But as the prophet of God runs away from the presence of God, he forsakes the purpose of God. In this moment, Jonah is laying down his calling. He's saying, if you're asking me to go extend mercy to my enemies, I don't wanna be a prophet anymore. I don't wanna be your son anymore and I don't wanna be part of your family anymore. Jonah isn't just running on a ship, no, no, no. He is forsaking his very identity. I want you to imagine for a minute, think of the group in the world that is at least publicly most opposed to the Christian movement. Think about ISIS, right? If God said to you, if, he, if you left church this morning and he lit a bush on fire in your yard, and he said, I want you to move to central Syria and proclaim the gospel to ISIS. And what's running through your head is you're going, you mean the same ISIS that on the news executed my Christian brothers and sisters? You mean that ISIS? You mean the ISIS that even if I go in as one person, I'll go proclaim the gospel, and they will continue to persecute my brothers and sisters? They'll probably kill me? And you're looking at that and you're going, I'm just one person. That's what the calling of Jonah probably felt like. I'm just one guy. Have you ever felt that before? where you go, gosh, the the demands that God has on my life to be faithful to him, I've I've got a job, I've got friends, I've got all these spheres in these places where he's telling me to proclaim the gospel, but I'm just one guy. How in the world can I be responsible for all of these people? Was Jonah afraid of the size of the task, of the danger of the task? Probably. But remember, here's what we know from verse two. Jonah was most afraid that these people would repent. He could not bear the thought of his enemies receiving mercy. He couldn't bear the thought of it. Okay, I gotta ask, what about what about you? Is there a person? Is there a group? Is there a worldview? That is so vile, may, and may, maybe it is. Let's be be fair. Maybe it's maybe it's wickedness. Maybe it's evil. And it, but it's so vile to you that you don't even want them to repent anymore. Like, is there part of you that looks at a group of people that hate what you believe as a Christian, and you go like, "Yeah, I'm kind of okay if if they burn for eternity." Like that makes sense to me. Is there something in your heart that rises up? and says that. Jonah literally pays money to run from God. Did you catch that in verse three? He goes, he hires a ship. He had to get away from God because here's the thing, New City, I need you to remember this. You can't be around a merciful God and not become merciful. If you're with him, if you're around him, if you're near to him, if you're tuned into his heart, you know what he's going to do? He's going to make you look more like his son. Who's more merciful than the son? Nobody. But if you don't want to be merciful, you better get out of Dodge. See, as we're reflecting on this this week, Oftentimes, I think like Jonah, I know that I am resisting God's direction in my life, whether it's to be merciful to someone or to um, obey him in a certain thing, whatever it is. I know I'm resisting his direction in my life when I stop wanting to be with him. You ever notice that? Where it's like, gosh, there's this place I really wanna disobey the Lord. Like I don't wanna do the thing that he's called me to do. You know what stops real quick? Cracking open the Bible, man. I don't want to open the book and sit with the Lord when I know he's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. It starts to feel like there's a block inside your soul that every time you go, man, I know I I should be with the Lord, but something inside of you clamps down. And it's because your heart knows that if it comes to contact with the mercy of God, you're going to become a merciful person. I think part of the reason that we are afraid to extend this kind of radical mercy is because we're afraid that if we don't hold a person in judgment, that they're gonna get off the hook. You're like, man, if if I don't judge this person in my heart, if I don't hate this person in my heart, who will bring justice? Who is going to right the wrong that's been done to me? And let me be clear, the wrong done to you, it's, it could be very real. What I'm not saying right now is that the hurt isn't real or that they don't deserve judgment, but the fear that they won't receive judgment if you don't do it is a lie. It's a lie. See, Jonah wasn't seeing in this moment what you and I struggle to see vengeance is the lord's we don't like to talk about vengeance right it sounds like man christians don't we're, we're grace people right we don't talk about vengeance but man here's the reality someone will pay for wrongdoing somebody's gonna pay either you will or jesus will Somebody is going to pay. There is not a single wrong in the entire fabric of the universe that has been done to you, that has been done by you, that will not be rightly and fully and completely punished. Like justice is coming, but oh my word, the good news that you don't have to be the one who pays it. God is a merciful God. All the wrong that you've done, guess what he wants to do? He wants to divert that judgment from you, the judgment you rightly deserve, and he wants to take it on himself. Don't miss, the judge that demands the justice is taking the justice himself. Who does that? But the king of the universe. I just need you to hear this this morning because as we start talking about this, there's some of you in this room this morning that horrible, horrible things have been done to you. You've been betrayed. You've been mistreated. You've been abused. You've been hurt. And I need you to hear the heart of the Lord right now. They didn't get away with it. They didn't get away with it. He's gonna dish out justice. Vengeance is the Lord, he will execute justice. You see, Jonah probably believed, I think we, from, from context of the story, we would get this, he probably believed that he was better than these people. And, and honestly, like if you're measuring the consequences, he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I lie, I cheated on my taxes a little bit, but I'm not sacrificing children. Are there more consequences to sacrificing children than cheating on your taxes? Of course, of course there are more natural consequences to something like that. But this tells us, he doesn't understand mercy. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get that the law broken at any point, it deserves judgment. That Jonah deserved the judgment of God as much as these people deserve the judgment. I think that's hard for us to conceive of sometimes, right? Because we have this sort of graded scale in our head of like, oh, that's, that's more bad, right? That needs more covering. But here's, here's I think, a good illustration. Um, imagine a tight rope strung across the Grand Canyon, Right? And uh, if you're crazy enough to get out on that tightrope and you get out into the middle of it and um, you're out in the middle and somebody comes along with a pair of hedge clippers and they run up to the edge and they chop the edge, what's going to happen? You're going to go falling, careening to your death in the depths of the canyon, right? What if instead of hedge clippers, a, a helicopter comes by and it gets a little too close and right out in the middle, it chops the line? What's going to happen? Same situation. Both are terrible. Here's the point it doesn't matter where you cut the tightrope. A broken tightrope is a broken tightrope. You're going to fall whether it's cut here or here or here or here. However you grade it in your head, the tightrope of God's law has been cut means it can't hold you up. You need mercy. Some of you this morning, you need to receive the mercy of God. Some of you this morning, you need to stop withholding mercy. Who are you withholding mercy against? That You need to forgive. You need to make it right with. So that's the question, the first question about the mercy of God is, will you respond disobediently? I'm pleading with you today, don't. Like man, mercy will free you, goodness. But here's, here's the second question I think from jo- Jonah's story, it's the last question of today. Will you respond passively? We re- respond passively? Look back at the text, verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship in the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Don't miss the irony right here. That these pagan sailors are calling the prophet of God's people to prayer. Look at the reversal right here. I mean, the guy who should be theoretically praying more than anybody else is asleep in the middle of the chaos. Sheesh. Jonah assumes that God will leave him alone. Like if he lays down his identity and his calling, that God's gonna go, okay, well, I'll just get somebody else to do this. But guess what God doesn't do? He doesn't leave him alone. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. That you're going like, man, I thought if I ran away, God would leave me alone. He's hunting you, right now. That's a good thing. Maybe that's just me, I don't know. The sailors are terrified, and reasonably so, right? In the ancient world especially, the sea was thought of as this uncontrolled realm of the divine, and so anytime they were out on the waters, They were like, man, if something good happens or something bad happens, there is something supernatural at play here. That's why they ask the question immediately. And they start praying to their gods. They're calling out, please rescue us from this, but nothing happens, right? Because there is one true God and there's one God who is sending this storm, right? Did you notice the text says, the Lord hurled a great storm. God threw the storm at this boat. And they start throwing stuff off of the boat. Um, if, you, if you've not been around boats, that probably didn't make much sense. It didn't make much sense to me. I was like, wouldn't heavier be better? But here's, here's the deal. If they get the weight off of the ship, it's going to float higher in the water, which makes it harder for the waves to get over the side and, and capsize it. But in all this, the only actual God who is responsible for this storm has one follower on board. And follower I use loosely, right? There's one guy on board who can ask for help. And where is he? He's fast asleep. Now there's a couple of times in scriptures, both here and in one of the gospels account where um, Jesus actually falls asleep in a boat during a storm. And if you're anything like me, you read a story like that or like this and you go, how could you sleep at a time like this? Like one, I mean, how exhausted does the Lord have to be? Like, man, if you if you can fall asleep in a boat that's being violently thrashed around, like, I guess you like have a toddler, right? You're just sleep deprived. And right here, I've been asking the question, how in the world can Jonah fall asleep at this, right? Remember what he's doing right here. He's trying to get away from God. And when you're running from God, you know who consumes your every waking thought? God. It's like, maybe if I go to sleep, I can go one layer deeper. Right? I thought the bottom of the ship was as low as I could go away from the heavens. But maybe if I go to sleep, right? Jonah is most likely depressed in this moment. He's grieved. And the captain comes down, he rebukes Jonah. How in the world? He asked the question I just asked, right? How in the world can you be sleeping at a time like this? Pray. Do you think that word stung to Jonah, right? He's, the irony is probably not missed on him. He's like, I know, how did I get here? How am I the prophet of God's people? And this guy is asking me to pray. The ship captain says, perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Translation, perhaps God will be merciful perhaps he'll divert his judgment. Jonah is reminded, right? God keeps bringing this struggle in front of him. You ever do that where there's this one defining struggle in your walk with the Lord and you're like, I just don't want to deal with that right now. And then the one thing that consumes your every waking moment is that thing. I remember a couple of years ago, I was about to go to counseling and I was, I was driving. I had like a 20 minute drive to get there and I was praying and I was like, okay, Lord, like I'm hopeful for this. I'm hoping this is going to be restorative, but there's this one thing that I really don't want to talk about. I don't feel ready to talk about it. I feel afraid to talk about it. So God, let's just like, can we just do, we we'll just deal with something else. And then we get in the counseling room. And you know what the first thing we talked about was? (laughs) That thing. And for the next hour, it was like, God would not leave me alone with it. That's what he's doing with Jonah. And even though Jonah is confronted with this, he still does nothing. Jonah is entrenched. He has dug his heels in and says, I don't think you heard me the first time, God. I'm done with you. I'm done with your people. I'm done with this identity. Can I tell you this morning, New City, entrenched disobedience destroys your heart. <coughs> destroys it. See, most of us, we tend to think of disobedience in active terms. We think like, man, well, I, I didn't go rob a bank or I didn't kill somebody, or I, I didn't tell a lie. We think of things that we do in terms of sin. But much, friends, don't miss this, much of our disobedience is not what we do actively, but what we don't do passively. Isn't that what happens with Jonah, right? He's called to pray, but what does he do? He doesn't pray. He's called to stand in the gap for these men, but what does he do? He goes to sleep. He stands back Sins of passivity are as equally sinful as sins of activity. Maybe you're asking right now, you're, or in, in your heart, you think like, I'm not unmerciful to people. I'm just not actively merciful. I'm just sort of neutral. There is no neutral in the kingdom of God in terms of mercy. There's just no neutral, it doesn't exist. And then, gosh, if you thought our, our, our boy Jonah here is like, if you think he's failing now, man, it just gets worse. I need you to buckle up. Verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. <clears throat> um, moving on in verse, um, the end of verse 8, he says, Where do you come from? What's your occupation? What... Um, what is your country and of what people are you? You notice the questions are causing Jonah to have to confess the very thing that he's trying to leave behind. (laughs) And then he gives them this, this religious standard line. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. The tone is mine, I suppose, who made the sea and the dry land. And then they start asking the question in verse 11 well, what do we do? How do we quiet the sea down? If that's true, what do we do? And Jonah says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down. I know the reason this storm is here is because of my disobedience. Notice right here everybody but the prophet is repenting. Everybody but the prophet. Look at verse 16 in our, our text, after they throw Jonah overboard. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah is utterly failing at a, as a prophet, and his ministry is still converting people. How frustrating. I'm trying to disobey the Lord. And even my disobedience is being used in the divine economy. Do you know, Christian, you can say that? Along with Jonah and with Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, his brothers sell him into slavery. All this terrible stuff happens, and at the end of the story, you know what he says? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God takes all your sin, all your mess, and he uses it sinlessly to work his purposes in the world. If you're going, man, I'm, I'm screwing it up, I'm screwing everything up. Guess what? God, God is already purposing your failures. He's already using them. That's good news. And then Jonah, if first reading, you hear that line, hey, just pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Doesn't that sound kind of noble? Like in my last breath, I want to, it's the action movie, with my last breath, I want to save you guys and jump off into the water. This is not nobility. It is the ultimate stroke of cowardice. It's like, what if the bottom of the boat asleep isn't as low as I can go? If you're going to chase me, guess what? I'm going to die chase me there. Look at the attitude. Look at the cowardice in this. I man. some of y'all in the room, you may have said some things to God that you're nervous you can't come back from. You're like, did I, did I damage it too much? I was trying to damage it because I wanted to make sure he couldn't ever love me he could never receive me, he could never accept me. Let Jonah's life be a lesson to you. But that's just not the case. See, here's Jonah entrenching himself in sin and he's miserable, he's depressed, he's suicidal, he's down in the dumps. Now, I want you to to hear me because I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying. Not all depression or bleakness, is, some, is a sin in your life. Like sometimes our bodies, right? They don't work, right? You need, you need some help. I'm, I'm actually in the process of coming off of an anti-anxiety medication I've been on for several years right now. And it's been horrible, you guys. It's been so hard. Not all depression is bleakness or sin, but I want to ask you a question this morning with our brother Jonah. What if the bleakness you feel is as simple as repentance. Here's what I mean. What if if the downcast disposition in your soul, what if the anger or the cynicism or the frustration in your soul is not really a product of your outside circumstances, but it's a product of you continually disobeying the Lord. And this morning, I just wanna ask you to just come Just come back, come back, repent, don't entrench yourself like our our friend Jonah did against the Lord. Don't entrench yourself, friends. God is not asking Jonah in this moment for perfect love, right? He's not saying, man, you got, if you don't go and perfectly love the Ninevites today, It's it's no good to me. No, he's asking Jonah to show up, to just do what he told him to do. God is not asking for perfect love. He is asking for faithful availability. You know, that's what he's asking for you. Like that group or that person in your head from earlier where you're going, I don't wanna extend mercy to them. I want to want to, but I don't. God ain't asking you to muster that mercy up in yourself. He's asking you to simply come to him and saying, Jesus, I want to do what you've called me to do, but I don't think I can do it alone. And guess what the Lord says to that? You don't have to. I'm not asking you to do it alone. I'm with you. What would happen today if you embraced active mercy instead of passive mercy? disobedience. That person, that group, can I I be honest with you? There, There are times right now that I look around at the world and instead of feeling compassion, I feel anger feel anger I look around and I go like man you the, the world is trying to brainwash my kids and it's going to be so hard for them to follow Jesus and this all that stuff is rising up in me and it's leading to anger and anger and anger and all of a sudden knowing that what they're doing is wrong doesn't move me toward compassion but it moves me toward hatred and judgment and I got to repent of that what would act of mercy look like it would look like looking at the world and saying, man, you and I might be enemies. We really might be, but I sure don't want us to be. I sure want, right? God doesn't tell them, to tell Jonah to go into the city and tell Nineveh, hey, there's no problems with anything here, everything's good. No, he says, go tell them to repent. That's part of love too, right? To go into the world and say, man, we are enemies, but if you repent, guess what there is for you? mercy. There's mercy for you. Will you respond passively or will you respond actively? Will you will you pursue those who it's really, really hard to give mercy to? That's a question you got to wrestle with the Lord with. As I'm finishing up here, Raphael, you go ahead and come up. Brother, I'm um, See, Jesus does something really interesting in the New Testament. When he talks about, he says, I'm going to give the sign of Jonah. Mm -hmm. Right? He points back to this story and he's saying essentially just like as we're going to see next week, Jonah who gets thrown into the sea trying to hide from God, he gets a severe mercy in that he's swallowed by a fish. So I don't want to leave you with too much of a cliffhanger. Even when Jonah says, guess what? You can't You can't get me if I'm dead. God says, watch me. Watch me get you. And do you know that's true of you and Jesus Christ? You see friends, Jesus is the better Jonah. Jonah was in a comfortable place as the prophet of God in in, in a joyful time and he was called to a hard mission and he ran the other way, but guess what Jesus did? Jesus left the comfort and worship of heaven to take on the burden of your salvation. Jonah, in complete cowardice and selfishness, throws himself into the waters of darkness to try to die. But Jesus, with complete courage, hurled himself into the darkness of sin and death to destroy it forever. See, Jonah feared giving up the judgment seat. If I don't judge these people, God, who will? But Jesus left the judgment seat of heaven to become accursed instead of you. And the only reason that Jonah and us, the only reason we could receive mercy is because the justice that we deserve has been absorbed by another and absorbed by another. If I can leave you with this illustration. If you've seen any good spy movie, you know any any part of a spy worth their weight, their kit, is the little bleeper that erases people's memories, right? Right? You put the sunglasses on, you give it the bleep, and the person doesn't remember. So convenient, right? Where do we buy those? But I want you to picture for a moment that you have wronged, you've done something horrible to your best friend. Like you've embezzled money from them, you've had an affair with their spouse, you've saw something horrible that, that they're looking at you and where there was once warmth and affection and closeness, now there's hatred and confusion and rage. That your friend, the spy walks in with his memory bleeper and he goes up to that person and he gets ready to bleep them but he turns a switch and instead of erasing the memory this time of all the things that you've done against them he flips a switch so that the memory's still there but that you you are replaced in the story with him so now when that person looks at you the, the bleep happens all of a sudden the warmth is back The closeness is back. They look at you as if you've done nothing wrong, but then they look at the spy and they go, all the anger is pointed there. This is what happens in the exchange of mercy. If you get that, you're starting to get a grip on the gospel. The scriptures say that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The Father looks at you and sees the blamelessness and the goodness of the son. And he looked at the son and he's all the curse, all the shame, all the embarrassment of your wrongdoing. He put it on him. The judgment was diverted. And friends, if you get that kind of a mercy, when you get it, it will inevitably begin to overflow into those around you. How will you respond to the mercy of God this morning? I'm praying, I've been praying that you'll receive it, and that you'll extend it. I like I gotta say one more thing today. For some of you, the enemy that you hate is yourself, and you can't receive mercy for the things that you have done. I can't believe that there's really, real deep forgiveness for you. And I need you to know that in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. Let me pray for you. God of mercy, have mercy on us. We need it. God, we're quick to hold the gavel. We're slow to extend the hand. I'm praying that our church would be marked by the mercy of God. Help us to be a people who love repentance however small, however slow, however messy, that we would see the progress of your work in people. And even when they hurt us, that, that not just in saying I forgive you or here's some mercy, but that we would experience mercy. We would experience forgiveness toward other people. Will you do a work this morning? Don't let us leave the room. we've received it, God. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we don't just want to hear the word today. We want to be doers of the word. And so here in New City, we typically do that in three key ways. Number one, we reflect. What was the Lord impressing on you as you heard the word preached this morning? Are you struggling to receive mercy? Are you struggling to give mercy? Are you um, passive in your disobedience? Are you are you running the opposite direction? Do business with the Lord. Talk to him. Ask him for help. In fact, this morning, um, so we're going to have kind of a prayer team in the back of the room. So I'm going to be back there. My friend Noel is going to be back there. Pastor Keith, if I can invite you to be back there as well. And if you're going, man, I can't receive mercy. If you're hung up and you're stuck and there's a disconnect between your head and your heart, what you know to be true and what you love, we want to pray for God's work in your life. Don't be so proud this morning as to stay in your seat and not ask God for help. Ask the community to come around you and encourage you and speak words of life and blessing over you. Friends, the second thing that we do is we remember. We remember that mercy is not judgment forgotten. It's judgment diverted. That judgment fell on the body of the Lord. He took it. He took it for you. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to the Lord's table. Right here in the front, there are two stations where you'll find some bread. You'll find some juice that that beautifully and supernaturally reminds us of the body and blood of Jesus shed for us. I want you to just remember the mercy I have, it cost him something. Thank you, Jesus. Let that be your heart's cry. I want to tell you this too. there's somebody in the room that you're struggling to extend mercy to or vice versa, can I invite you this morning forgive him. And if you'd be so bold, tell him and you go take the Lord's Supper together as a testament to what the mercy of God does in a relationship. Then finally, friends, we rehearse the coming day when the mercy of God will have had its full effect, when he will have rescued people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language gathered around the throne, who all of us will share the story, I didn't deserve mercy, and then I got lots of mercy. That's a good story. So let's sing like it's already true. I love you, I love being your pastor. Respond when you're ready.